Hey, and welcome to the Six Minute Mile podcast. I'm David Lavalley, and I just spent an hour getting a whole lot smarter on sports nutrition with today's guest, Andrew Merle. Andrew is an accomplished sports marketing executive who's worked at iconic brand companies like Cliff Bar, the Boston Red Sox, and New Balance. Along the way, he became fascinated with healthy eating and sports performance. So he studied to become a certified sports nutritionist. We dug deep on his research into the blue zones, the five areas around the world with the highest percentage of people who live to be 100. There are some similar behavior traits in those areas, including exercise, social engagement, and sleep. But the biggest common denominator is a diet rich in leafy greens, olive oil, beans, and sweet potatoes. Tune in for the full details. Enjoy, and we'll see you out there. So would, I would love to hear a little bit more about your background and, and you know, what sports you were into as a kid. I mean, it seems as if sports is a big passion of yours, and now you've married that with sports nutrition, which is really interesting. And you've worked for brands like Cliff Bar and Red Bull and, and also brands like uh, Boston Red Sox and New Balance. And so would love to hear about what you know, early days of the Andrew Merle story and, and how you came to be so interested in sports and sports nutrition. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Sports has played a pivotal role in my life since I was a little kid. I remember I grew up in the in the Boston area, and I remember, you know, as a little kid watching Red Sox games. Baseball was my first love. I, you know, remember staying up past past bedtime, past when my parents were staying up watching the, you know, the '86 World Series and you know, idolized Roger Clemens and, you know, other, other athletes like that. So I was always interested in sports. I played a little bit of baseball, uh, but really tennis was my, my big sport growing up. Uh, and I played pretty, pretty seriously from, you know, six years old on and wound up playing a bunch of tournaments in New England and kind of traveling around for, for that and, you know, played tennis in high school and, and college as well. So tennis was definitely my, my focus from an athletic perspective. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, I have been extremely fortunate to marry my biggest passion with, with my profession. And so I, out of school, was able to get a, a job in public relations working for the Red Sox, which is, you know, a dream come true, hearing some of that other background. And Absolutely. Yeah, so it's just, as you mentioned, it, it's, it's taken a, a couple of different turns, but, you know, I worked for the Red Sox and then the LA Dodgers on the baseball side, and then some sports marketing roles with Cliff Bar and Red Bull, now I'm at New Balance, and and then on the side, I've also been interested, very interested, as you mentioned, in nutrition and pursued my sports nutritionist certification. So I have that. So it just, it's all, sports has been the central theme, but it's taken a number of different routes for me. So did you think much back as an athlete about sports nutrition? No, if I'm yeah. being totally honest. <laughs> I no, bet, yeah. I... I knew that sports and athletics was doing something good for me yeah. mentally, physically, the camaraderie, even with tennis being a individual sport, I was often on teams, whether that was in high school and college or traveling teams or whatever. So I saw the benefits, but I don't think I appreciated nutrition's role in performance until I was a bit older. And so how did that interest arise? 
You know, I think actually it was so much later. It was when I was really working for Cliff Bar and Cliff Bar is a food and nutrition company. It was, you know, born on a bike, so to speak, where the, the founder kind of came up with the idea on a really long bike ride. And at the time, you know, Power Bar was the only only bar around. And he kind of said, you know, I can I think I can do better in terms of uh, a product to enhance performance. And just being out in the Bay Area where Cliff Bar is, there's such a food culture in general. And then I've worked with a lot of athletes and it just sort of came together at some point. But I think it was when I was working for Cliff Bar that it, that my interest really peaked. You felt guilty about after working at Red Bull, pumping people right. uh, full of uh, sugar and caffeine and things. But uh... right, right, right. Well, I'm sure you know, some people do use I know, I know. as a performance enhancer. But yeah, I can't... Uh... <laughs> necessarily endorse it for everybody. No, no, no. And so, um, but at Cliff Bar, you started because the whole, you know, the whole mission of the company, right, is about athlete performance. And, and so there's a, you're just immersed in a culture, I would imagine of, hey, how, how does this product affect athletes and, and help them? Exactly. And being in the Bay, yeah, so there was that whole performance side of things. And then being in the Bay Area where, so much of the farm to table movement and knowing where your food comes from and organic and you know clean ingredients that really started to yeah just affect the way that i looked at food and thought about what i put in my body and then i started to integrate these things that were you know athletics had always been a part of my life now food was becoming a bigger part of my life and it only made sense that sports nutrition would would kind of come together for me and back in those Cliff Bar days, did are you a believer in the product? And, and what should our readers and listeners know about uh, sports bars? And um, I mean, you, I feel like one day you'll read a study that says, eh, it's just like eating Milky Way. And another day you'll say, no, 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 this is this these these ingredients are really actually pretty good for you and help performance and health. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think Cliff Bar is an amazing company. I had a fantastic time working there. I, you know, it's a family-owned company. They treat everybody incredibly well. I think the food philosophy is really sound, you know, very much sort of this kitchen-crafted organic ingredients as much as possible. So in terms of using the product and believing in the product, absolutely within the right setting. I think that in terms of the way that it was initially designed for athletes who are you know needing sustained energy during athletic endeavors a hundred percent most people or a lot of people now are consuming it to sit at their desks or on the couch and that's not going to be a great a great recipe for most people so i think so much of food is about what is the role that that food plays and what you're trying to do and so it's all, it's all based on the activity, I think. So what is the ideal usage or consumption pattern for something like uh, Cliff Bar or Kind Bar or Power Bar or Goo, um, Honey Stinger? What, 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 what's the right way to use those products? Yeah, I mean, the way that I had used it in the past is, you know, maybe half an hour or an hour before you're going to go out for a long run or a long ride or a long hike that will give you energy throughout. And it's also, it's portable. So when it's not, mm-hmm. you know, if it's not feasible to carry, uh, you know, an apple or something, you know, or something else or, or, or something that, you know, real food, I think I always opt to, 
whole real foods overall. But if that's not possible, I think portable nutrition like Cliff Bar can have a place. Got it. And then what is, um, so what are you kind of mentioned, maybe it's not the greatest thing if you're just sitting on the couch or um, but what's the wrong way to use those products? Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. I mean, first of all, there's no reason to reach for a cliff bar for breakfast if you're at home and you could make a healthy breakfast instead or, or anything like that. It, you know, I, I haven't looked at the sugar content in a cliff bar recently, but it's not the ideal 2 p.m. pick me up either if you're just going to go sit at your desk or, or go watch TV because I mean, it's, it's flooding your body with energy, both from calories, but also there's some sugar in there, which is designed to have a performance benefit. If you're not performing and you're just, you know, working or sitting around, it, it will have a negative impact on your body for sure. Makes sense. Um, and so, sorry, I interrupted the, uh, the Andrew Merle life story timeline here, but, but so how did you, so you're hanging around athletes, thinking about your own health and performance. Yeah. Um, working for some sports brands. So, but then most people don't go much beyond reading some extra articles about health and nutrition. Yeah. You decided to pursue a degree in this. How, how did you decide that was going to be that important to pursue the, for the degree or certification and become a sports nutritionist? Yeah. I mean, like anything, I think I've just followed my passion to see where it leads. All of the genesis for all of this is I want to live as long as possible and I want to be as healthy as possible along the way. So I have been fascinated with longevity, health span, lifespan. I have extensively studied performance and health and what are the habits and routines that I can uh, incorporate to live longer, better. So that's really what this is all about. And then pursuing certifications or other things along the way is just a byproduct of wanting to live as long and healthy as possible. So it's mo so you don't necessarily want to see patients. I mean, your, your blog posts are great and we'll link out to that. Um, so you're influencing other people in a positive way, but, but for the most part it was self-exploration that, that led you to that course. hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And, and I'm fascinated I, I'm a lot older than you are, so I'm, I'm even more fascinated you are about uh, you know reversing long, the effects of aging and increasing longevity. So uh, you had a blog post recently on this that where you really dove into the subject and talked to the authors of the study on this. But are you a believer in this? Is that is that the, I think the basic results of that study showed that you could actually re reverse um, kind of the age as measured of your tissues and your body. So is that, are you a believer in that possibility? Yeah, I'm a hundred percent a believer that we can slow the aging process. I think that genetics play a role, but many years ago you heard that genetics were your destiny. And I don't believe that. I think a lot of what you read is genetics might be 20% of, hmm. of the ultimate outcome, but lifestyle habits can account for the other 80%. And so with simple things, I mean, there may be pharmaceutical things on the horizon, but with simple lifestyle habits, diet, exercise, stress reduction, sleep, I firmly believe that regardless of what your chronological age is, what's going on inside your body could be a lot younger and you can slow that down. 
But I think the big headline out of that study was you can reverse your biological age, obviously not your chronological, but is that possible? According to these tests. So they have these yeah. clocks now where they can essentially measure markers of age and you can see what's going on as it relates to uh, uh, healthy or unhealthy methylation within your body, DNA damage, a bunch of different markers of age and predict with pretty remarkable accuracy how you're doing, you know, just because you're 40 years old doesn't mean inside you're 40. You could look more like you're 30 or you could look more like you're 50. And these have been shown to actually predict all-cause mortality or, or when you might die better than your chronological age. Hmm. So, yes. And then the fact that you can actually, and this study showed that, that through a, a lifestyle intervention, you could, you could reverse that clock it's definitely possible. Now, we haven't seen over decades to see whether people are actually living longer, but within these markers that have proved accurate, it, it has been shown now that you can, you can turn back the clock a, a bit anyway. And this is the Horvath clock? Is that one of the measures? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a number of them. Um, the Horvath, at least in my mind, or from what I've seen, is the best or one of the one of the better ones. But yeah, it's pretty remarkable what they're able to do now. And I think it's just with a, a saliva test. So, but yeah, you you can't do this by filling out a questionnaire on your iPhone. You, you need to, there's got to be some analysis here. Exactly, there is some analysis that you would send in. Yeah. Have you tried this yourself? I haven't. I'm very curious to do it. I would love to do it and find out what's going on and. I think it'd be really empowering too, to see, okay, I'm taking up this new nutrition program or this new exercise program. And if you're starting to see the needle move in the right direction, then I think that proves to people that, okay, you know, genetics aren't my destiny and I can do something about this. And I think that that's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll link out to that because I'm, I'm kind of, of course, millions of people are doing kind of an ancestry.com or 23andme sort of thing to review genetics. But, um, yeah. but I think, I think this is actually more interesting for athletes to figure out where, you know, what's your baseline right now of your, your tissue aging and where you are biologically in your aging process. Absolutely. I mean, there are obviously blood tests that people can do. There's the genetics testing that you mentioned, but I personally believe the more, you know, the more you can do about it and you feel a lot more empowered to to make changes and that those changes will matter as opposed to thinking it doesn't matter what i do anyway you know my my dad got this or my grandfather got this right. that's happened to me and i'm sure your audience feels the same way there's a reason why they are you know running or fitness enthusiasts they're they're doing this for a purpose yeah so what is your, um, so this study aside, what, what is your recommendation on increasing longevity? Thinking mostly about diet for a minute. Yeah, well, you know, looking at this study, but also more generally, I think that there's one clear way not to do it. There is one way that is a sure way to bring on death sooner than later. And that's what we call the standard American diet. And that is this, you know, ultra processed food, high sugar, high in unhealthy fats, high in refined carbs. So that, that is the definite wrong way. 
So now when you start to think about the reverse of that, what could you do to really, you know, the 80-20 principle, you would cut out, and again, doing this most of the time, you'd cut out added sugar. It, it's pretty clear that sugar is not good. Uh, you would cut out refined carbohydrates, refined grains. You would cut out a lot of the other unhealthy fats, a lot of the oils that you see that are in so many of the, uh, of the foods that we have, ultra processed foods. I mean, I read something like 60 to 70% of calories in the US come from these ultra processed foods. If you can just stay away from those, that's half the battle, right? So then within there, if you're eating real whole foods, I think there are a number of different ways that you can, you can eat a healthy diet, whether you are following a paleo diet or a vegan diet or a keto diet. I think there are healthy ways to do any of those. So long as you're avoiding the junk. And, and I actually think most people know what the junk is. Right. Right. Uh, how, uh, how much do you hate pasta? Um, is there, you know, whole grain Barilla pasta? Is that any better for you than just, you know, just the whatever's in Kraft mac and cheese? Again, I think it goes back to the purpose of it. And if you are an athlete and you are going for high intensity activity, then I think pasta can, can play a role for sure. I mean, there are cultures around the world you know, even in the blue zones where, where they're eating bread, they're eating pasta. So to say that pasta is, you know, blatantly unhealthy isn't true, but you may want to think about pasta or starches being a smaller portion and, you know, you're having vegetables and beans or something to really round out that meal. I don't necessarily endorse keeping plates of pasta on their own. Uh, I, I think it can be part of a balanced meal though. But, and is whole wheat pasta any better for you than, than non-whole wheat pasta? I think so. I mean, yeah. there's, there's more fiber in it. So what that means is that you'll be full, you know, more full for, for longer. It helps with some of the, the digestive process. So I think so. I think though, in general, flour is, I, I don't, I don't run to flour. Uh, especially people who might have any type of, you know, gluten sensitivities or things like that. I don't think it's awful, but, and I would say that whole wheat pasta is better than white pasta, but I would try to minimize it in general. I'm trying to rationalize a staple of my diet if you can't, if you can't tell it. So <laughs> I try to, you know, in, in general, staying away from white bread, white rice, yeah. white pasta is a good a good principle to follow. Yeah. Uh, but as a carb, I've seen in some of your writing, you, you love beans. So beans are a controversial topic. You hear some people say that you should never have any beans. And in fact, the study that you cited earlier where they turn back the clock, the program was no beans at all. So, or at least that was part of the program. However, on the other hand, in the blue zones, so those are the five places around the world with the highest life expectancy, beans are their superfood. Every single right. one of the blue zones, they build their meals around beans. Beans are a great source of fiber, a great source of complex carbohydrates. So yeah, I'm a big fan of, of beans. And I think that 
it is definitely a healthy protein option as well. And what's the rap against beans? Uh, this whole idea of sort of, you know, anti-nutrients and if you're not cooking them sufficiently that it will cause problems for you and your gut. And the reality is when you're not used to beans, there can be a little bit of GI discomfort when you're, when you're having them. But I think you just need to introduce them slowly and over time and let your system adjust to it so that you can incorporate beans into your diet. I, I think it's one of probably one of the healthiest foods you can eat. Yeah, but otherwise, you also, you're a big fan of green leafy vegetables. Yes. And why is that? Green leafy vegetables, there was a study that I wrote about the people who would eat a big salad every day had brains that looked 11 years younger than those who weren't eating leafy greens. So leafy greens are loaded with vitamins, minerals, very low in calories, uh, and just a, just a huge range of benefits. I think leafy greens are the healthiest vegetable, and I think that berries are, are the healthiest fruit. And I think that including both of those as regular fixtures in your diet is incredibly important. Um, and, and speaking of berries, are there bad berries? Not, not in my mind, no. I mean, I eat blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, strawberries. I mean, of course, I think, I think you want to choose fruits that are in season. And mm -hmm. I think you want to choose wild berries if pop, you know, if possible. So there are ways to make them better, but I think berries are great. And I don't, I don't see any reason not to eat them. Uh, and I feel as if there is a, um, there's a vendetta against apple juice these days, right? You know, 10 years ago, every mom in America was giving their kid juice boxes and so um, where are you on the apple juice controversy? I'm pretty firmly against all juices, to be honest yeah. with you. I think that there are a lot of vitamins and benefits of eating a whole fruit and you're getting the fiber as part of that. When you have apple juice instead of the apple, all of the fiber has been stripped away and you're essentially just mainlining sugar into your body, which is awful for anybody, let alone kids. And so now I, if you're talking about performance, I think there are benefits for things like beet juice. Beet juice has been shown to increase blood flow throughout your, throughout your body. I think it can be a great performance enhancer before athletics, but just having, you know, apple juice or grape juice or any of those firmly against it. No bueno. Uh, what about uh, dark cherry juice? Yeah, I think there could be some similar benefits of dark cherry juice as uh, as a beet juice. But again, I would think about when and how you're using it. Are you, are you using it for some type of a performance benefit? There's probably a performance benefit. But otherwise, you're probably taking in 25 grams of sugar within a glass of dark cherry juice. And yeah. you know, sugar's only going to go one one place. So the, uh, the Orange Growers Association of America did an unbelievable job for about 50 years in this country indoctrinating people to think they need to start their day with a glass of orange juice, right? So what's, uh, what, what's, the bad, what's the substitute other than plain water, let's say? Yeah, I think there are some great beverages. I think that water has a lot of, I mean, water is the healthiest beverage in the world. So I think that drinking water regularly, staying hydrated is incredibly important. Coffee has 
a lot of benefits as well. I'm a regular coffee drinker and coffee has been shown to uh, help fight off a number of diseases. It promotes longevity. So certain people can't tolerate coffee or caffeine, but there's performance benefits there as well. Same thing with tea. I'm a big fan of green tea, uh, really all types of teas, herbal tea. Um, so those, those are my go-tos, water, coffee, tea, a little bit of beet juice for, uh, for athletics. And then I think a little bit of red wine's all right too. Oh, good. And, 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 uh, IPA, right? IPA beer. There we go. There we go. Uh, I am, uh, I'm a proponent of alcohol in moderation. Good. Thank you. Uh, you, you weren't, you weren't as enthusiastic, uh, to endorse my pasta consumption, but all right. You, yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite there, but I, I have a feeling you're quite active. So I think pasta is just No, I think, yeah, it's look, it's still a staple for, for many endurance athletes and it's you know probably not the best thing, but uh, so, um, and you mentioned the blue zones, which, which is really fascinating. So what, you know, we'll, we'll put you on the spot. You know, if, if you blank on one of the five zones, we are not going to hold it against you, but, but, uh, but where are, where are the five blue zones and what can we learn from them? And what's, what's a good resource for further reading? Yeah, no problem. So yeah, there's five of them. There's one in the U S um, in Loma Linda, California. The others are, there's one in Costa Rica, uh, Sardinia, um, Okinawa, and Ikaria, Greece. So, so those are the five, and there's a lot to learn from them. They all eat, uh, which, is, which is really interesting to me, in a similar fashion. They eat, for the most part, a plant-based diet. 90 to 100% is, is plant-based. As I mentioned before, they have beans as the cornerstone of, of their diet. A lot of the things we just mentioned, I mean, they're eating dark leafy greens, they are drinking coffee, they are drinking tea, they downshift and have wine at five. Four of the five blue zones are, are drinking wine regularly and moderately. So there's a lot of dietary consistency across the five blue zones. But it's also beyond that. I, I think it's too simplistic to say diet totally predicts why they live a long time. They are moving regularly. They, they aren't running marathons or going to the gym, but they're active all day long uh, compared to sort of the sedentary lifestyle that, that many people in America right. are leading. They, um, they have a strong sense of purpose. So they know what uh, gets them up in the morning. They have, you know, really strong social and family ties. They're, they have cultivated a sense of community. Uh, and, and we see that social relationships are arguably the greatest predictor of health and longevity. So that's a big factor. They are often religious or, and it doesn't matter what, what religion it is, but there is that tradition that exists. So they, they, have find, they have ways to shed stress in their lives and they, you know, it's called downshifting. So I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated with the blue zones. I'm a huge believer in not only the dietary part of it, but just the overall lifestyle that, that they lead in, in the blue zones. And why Loma Linda in the US? I mean, some of the factors you mentioned just now, obviously, but, but it seems interesting that that pocket would emerge. 
Yeah, well, they are. So it's the Seventh-day Adventists. And so they uh, are, it, it is a religious group. They are uh, pretty notably, they don't drink and they uh, eat primarily a vegetarian diet. So here you have this one pocket of a community. I think Loma Linda is really, really interesting because they are, you know, to the borders of that. You have the rest of California and all of the chronic disease and obesity and other issues that are plaguing them. And yet Loma Linda, they've been able to avoid all of that through this, through these lifestyle habits. They, they exercise regularly. So it's all the things that we're talking about, but it's a, it's a specific community within there. Very interesting. Um, yeah, we had, uh, Dr. John Rady on um, a couple of weeks ago and really fascinating stuff and and his his triple play of endurance sports outdoors in nature with a group that you care about he's like that that does more for your brain than doing you know word problems for five hours a day hundred percent I've had the through my writing I've had the chance to interview John as well and I totally believe in, in what he's talking. Obviously he's, you know, the foremost expert in this, but yeah, I mean, exercise has benefits on its own. Then when you start to do it in social settings, you're getting all of those, you know, all of those benefits. And then, you know, if you start to do it outside and in nature, I mean, you're just, it multiplies, the benefits multiply. Yeah. I mean, I, I will admit there's a strong confirmation bias. I was, <laughs> I wanted to hear that from him right but it, but it does make sense and he, he has the science behind it as well so yeah yeah but i'm a i'm a firm believer in that and you you see that playing out in all the blue zones so the science is there but then you also have the evidence of these of these cultures around the world where it's working um and so w walk us through if you would if there are a lot of similarities among our um you know, readers of our newsletter and listeners to the podcast, but, but walk us through kind of, in your opinion, an ideal, but practical day for a, for an endurance athlete, let's say, let's say a 35, 40 mile per week runner, you know, what, what does breakfast look like? What's lunch look like? Healthy snack, dinner? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So I think that I, I'm a believer in general that, people don't need to be eating around the clock as well. And that was one thing that, you know, we didn't touch on a lot. So many people focus on what you're eating. And, but I, I think part of the problem is people are eating for 15 or 16 hours throughout the day. So I don't necessarily think that that is, is needed. I think that, you know, here, now you hear a lot about intermittent fasting and right. I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that as well. So I typically will wait two or three hours after I wake up before I will eat anything. And I'm often working out in the morning without having eaten anything. I might've had a, a cup or two of coffee, but I haven't found that my workouts, and this could change a bit if you're a bit of a higher level athlete, but I haven't found that my fasted workouts have been any worse than if I've had a you know big bowl of oatmeal before it. So I, I think it depends on what you're doing. If you're you know, going to do a 30 minute strength training session or a 30 minute, you know, run outside or an hour run. I don't think there's any reason why you couldn't do that without, without having eaten prior to that. If, um, if you're going to do something longer, 
then sure, I'm a, you know, I, I think a healthy breakfast could certainly be whole grains like oatmeal. I'm a big fan of, you know, putting berries in there, put some almonds in there. You can put, you know, flaxseed and chia seed and some of these other really healthy options in there, which I think will help and give you the energy for, for going long. Um, I personally, on the exercise front, most of the benefits that you see are coming from 30 to 60 minutes. So for the average person, and in fact, you see negative consequences when you're doing too much. So it can tax the heart and tax the body too much. So I'm a believer in the guidelines as they're laid out, you know, 30 minutes, five days a week, you know, mostly cardio exercise, a couple of days of strength training. I think that that's the way to do it. Um, for me personally, uh, that, that's the way that I do it. I think lunch, I have a habit of, of lunch being a big salad. Again, you know, we talked about those, those dark leafy greens and I think it's the easy way, easiest way to get in a whole load of vegetables. You can put in some, you know, grilled chicken or whatever, whatever you want, add some protein in there, put some beans in there, you know, load it up with, with vegetables. I think that that's a great option. For a, um, for a snack, I think, you know, fruit is a, is a good option. I, I'm a fan, obviously, of the lower glycemic fruits like berries, uh, unless you're, you know, more, more active. But I like apples and pears. I like nuts. I think that almonds and walnuts, even dark chocolate has a lot of health benefits. Like 85% plus dark chocolate is great. And, um, and then I'm a big fan of, of fatty fish as well. I think mm. that uh, omega-3s in, in fatty fish like wild salmon are incredibly beneficial for heart health, brain health. So I think that that's a, an optimal dinner. So that's sort of a, a, a bunch of potential options throughout the day. And it really depends on how much activity you're getting. But I think that that's a pretty good guideline to follow. Ideally, should we all be vegetarians? I don't think so. Uh, that my, my point of view is no. Now, a lot of people are vegetarians for ethical or moral reasons. Sure. And I totally support that. I think that you can eat a healthy vegetarian or vegan diet, but I think it takes a lot more work. I think that... I personally believe that protein is important, especially for athletes and to, and to repair after hard workouts. I think there are, there are other vitamins like vitamin B12 that's important in, in some animal products. Uh, I think that omega-3s are hard to come by if you're eating a purely vegetarian or vegan diet. So I think you can do it, but I, I think primarily plant-based or primarily vegetarian is a, is a better way to go. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a huge soup consumer at lunch. Is that okay? Vegetable soup is probably a lot of sodium in most of, you know, most soups you'd buy at a restaurant or something or to go at Au Bon Pain or something, but do you like soup as a, as a lunchtime meal? Yeah, I think, it's all about what's in there. If it was a homemade soup, that would be, that'd be one thing, but you're right. Soup is often loaded with sodium. 
there's often all, sor all sorts of oils and preservatives and other things in soup where you don't even know what you're getting. So mm. I always say, look at, look at the ingredient label if it's there. Uh, ideally, the food you're eating doesn't have an ingredient label uh, because it's a, it's a whole food. But if you're looking at it and there's more than five or 10 ingredients and you have no idea what half of the ingredients are, it's not good for you. Yeah, right, right, right. So, yes, soup can be very healthy if it's made in a, in a natural way, but it can also be really unhealthy if it's totally processed. Makes sense. Um, and what about supplements? Are there, are there, ideally, we'd be getting all our nutrients from whole foods, I understand, but, um, but that's not always practical, uh, or some people need more of something than others. So do you like supplements or there are, is it worth, you know, do you, do you hate GNC or, or should we okay. all be going there and, you know, finding something that works for us? No, I like, so I think supplements are exactly what you just said. They should supplement a healthy diet. I don't think it's possible to take a magic pill and totally erase a horrible diet or a sedentary lifestyle. It just doesn't exist. But I, I view supplements as essentially an insurance policy to make sure you're getting what you need. So a multivitamin could be a good idea to help, uh, you know, with that insurance policy. You hear a lot about vitamin D right now. I take vitamin D. Uh, there's a lot of reports that who knows, vitamin D could help, you know, reduce the severity of COVID or help there. Mm. I don't know, but I think it could be a good idea to take vitamin D, especially if you live in the Boston area or Northeast like we do, and you're not getting as much sunshine uh, as you could. Um, I do think that a fish oil uh, uh, is good, particularly if you're not eating fish one or two times a week. If you're eating fish two or three times a week, you're probably fine without a, without a fish oil. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I think that supplements can play a role specifically, specifically chosen. Yeah. And what about sugar substitutes? Again, ideally we'd, we'd be getting any needed sugar from whole foods, but um, if you really do have, if you've been acquired a sweet tooth over the years from this American diet, are, do you hate sugar substitutes? It depends what they are. If you mean agave or maple syrup or honey. I mean, essentially it all is flooding into your bloodstream as sugar and it's essentially the same. The glycemic, the glycemic index of these things is virtually the same. I think there are some better ones, you know, if you're having stevia or things like that, that, that doesn't impact your, your blood sugar. I think that that can be better, but if you need it, Sure, but I, I, I wouldn't endorse it, no. So you're, you're not a fan of, of honey or agave syrup? A, a, a little bit, I think. Yeah. I, I think it's fine. It's probably better than, than regular sugar, but to fool yourself and say, well, I'm not gonna have sugar, but I'm gonna have a boatload of agave or honey or maple syrup. It's not, it may be a, a healthier swap, but it's not healthy. Yeah, makes sense. And then how do you determine, um, customization for an individual. I, I remember a friend of mine years ago had some serious health issues and he, um, you know, tried everything to get over them. And then eventually he found a, an amazing nutritionist who said, let's, you know, let's do some tests. Let's do some blood tests. Let's do some trial and error with your diet. And, um, and he eliminated, it turned out he eliminated wheat, which, you know, maybe these days is probably the first question nutritionists ask, but, um, but 
you know, we, we all vary so much as individuals. What's the best way to figure out, you know, what, what my ideal mix should be versus yours? Yeah. I mean, there are, as you mentioned, food, food sensitivity tests. So there are blood tests that you can take and figure out what you're more sensitive to or, or less. So that is definitely an option. You could, you know, talk to your doctor about that. Um, I would start with exactly sort of what you just said though. If you eliminated added sugar, if you eliminated refined flour and you eliminated these sort of vegetable or industrial produced seed oils, I think that that would eliminate 95% of the, the issues that people have. Now, then you can start to tinker with other things like, you know, gluten or, or other issues. But I think, I think the heavy processed food diet is what is causing most of the issues versus you need something so specific in particular versus me. And if you think about this at a macro level, I mean, you're at, at a, a great organization, it's a family-owned business, a New Balance with a, with a really nice, a, a, a true, sincere, charitable arm. Um, you know, it's kind of a mission-driven organization, uh, obviously loves promoting healthy lifestyle and athletics. Um, at a macro level, what, what's the solution? I mean, if, you, if, you know, if uh, President Biden calls you tomorrow and says, we need Andrew Merle to figure out a, a, a food policy for America, what, how, do, how do we solve this rampant obesity problem? Yeah, well, I think that it starts with the environment. I think that saying, <laughs> it, it will, it, said another way, it will not be willpower or self-discipline that solves this problem. We need to make the healthy choice, the easy choice. And that is something that Dan Buettner, who founded mm. the Blue Zones, talks a lot about. And so he's working you know, in these communities to make the healthy choices in supermarkets more visible, uh, building the cities and streets for pedestrians and not only and not only cars, it is you know looking into government subsidies for fruits and vegetables and not you know some of these other uh, you know more harmful foods. And so I think it starts with making the healthy choice the obvious one, the one that's easier to reach for. I mean, if you have uh, you know, think about it in the, in the grocery stores, if the products that are, as you check out, if those are healthy products, a lot of people are making those impulse decisions there, right? And it's mostly crap. Well, if it wasn't, and they've seen this in these Blue Zones Project communities, when you change that, people get healthier, they lose weight. Uh, and so I think it starts with a lot of those policies and it's environmental, not personal decision-making. That's interesting. Yeah. If you just lecture at people and shame them into eating better, it doesn't feel like that's going to work at a macro level. I don't think so. And, you know, your audience is probably in the minority where they are highly disciplined fitness and running and athletics, you know, like us, it's a core part of who we are and what we love doing. And so those aren't the people that need help. You know, it's the, it's the people who are, you know, they think that ketchup is a vegetable. They're the ones that need 
help. And so that's why you need to make it front and center for them and make it really easy for them. And, and what is New Balance doing on this front? On the, on the healthy living front? Yeah. I mean, New Balance overall, I mean, obviously there's so much charitable work that we're doing to try to get people moving and kids moving and provide access to uh, athletics for all. I mean, I love New Balance because it's promoting movement. It's promoting a healthy, active lifestyle. Running and athletics has been, it has changed my life more than any other habit that I've had. And so I I firmly believe in the power of all of this. And, and honestly, we haven't been in there in a while, but you see it through the, you know, the, the cafeteria and the, the healthy options that you have for employees. We are, you know, incentivized to ha- lead healthy lives and there are like insurance benefits for, for doing so, you know? So it's just well-being, healthy living is ingrained in the DNA and the culture there both within the employees, but also um, trying to have that impact in the community at large. So that's why, that's why I love working there. No, it, it really is a sincere, it is not window dressing or lip service that, that, that really is a mission driven organization. It's, it is, yeah. Uh, Family owned, really care about local communities, but also you know supporting communities around the country and around the world. So around all of these topics that I'm passionate about, I know you're passionate about, so it's, it's pretty cool. And what about for private companies um, doing a great job at the nutritional part of it? Are there people, I mean, obviously like a, a Whole Foods or someone is, is, um, has kind of changed the way a lot of Americans think, but that's, you know, arguably hitting a, hitting, you know, part of the, a slice of the social strata that you don't really have to worry as much about. But um, are there companies out there, private companies that are out there that, I always feel like, is there a is there a healthier pizza option or something that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, if I'm running through an airport, I'm guilty of like sometimes grabbing a pretzel or grabbing, grabbing a slice of pizza because I don't have time to sit down and I would rather order the healthy salad, but the doors are closing in five minutes. I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I think that a lot of companies are getting better. I don't think, you know, these massive corporations, I don't think they want to do harm. And I think that they understand that, they need to play a part to you know push a healthier food system so i think you're starting to see everyone move in that direction i think one of the big trends that you're seeing is you know all of these delivery services and everything like that the meal kits things like that where you can eat real whole foods without all of the prep time and and everything that all that that goes into that so great point yeah so, so that's a, a huge trend that I see. Obviously, vegetables and more of a plant-based lifestyle. There are a lot of companies pushing into that space, which I think is great. But I'm also wary of just more processed food options that are plant-based. And so I think sort of buyer beware there a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, like Beyond and those guys, I feel like I, you know, the science doesn't seem to be super friendly to those products, right? I don't think so. I mean, time will, will ultimately tell. But again, I go back to, you know, look at the food label. Do you recognize what those things are? If, and is there only a handful of ingredients? If yes, go for it. Yeah. If no, put it down. And I don't think those plant-based burgers pass those tests. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, 
And you mentioned before a couple, couple kind of popular diets. I mean, if you sort of had, I mean, it's not one size fits all, I realize, but if you had to sort of recommend one to someone, you know, let's say, you know, again, our audience, someone who's fit and active, is it Mediterranean or paleo or keto? Somebody says, yeah, I really would like to a, eat healthier, but I wouldn't mind losing seven pounds in the process. What, what, yeah. what do you, what do you recommend? Yeah. Um, I think that any of those diets are better than the standard American diet. And I think that any of them could be healthy. I think the Mediterranean diet probably has the most research behind it in terms of proven health benefits. With that, you're getting the vegetables, the whole grains, the, the fish, the olive oil, a little bit of red wine, you know, all of that. And I think it's pretty sustainable for people to follow over time. Whereas the world really isn't set up all that well to follow a keto diet or a paleo diet. It's possible, but it's so restrictive that it's hard over time. Although I think they can be healthy if, uh, if done the right way. I think there's a, Harvard has the, the healthy eating plate which probably has the most sound advice mm. in my mind. And it basically says half of your plate should be fruits and vegetables. And a quarter of your plate should be whole grains. And the remaining quarter is a healthy protein, whether that is you know chicken or turkey or lean red meat or fish. And I think that that's a really just easy to understand way to do it. And then, you know, you want to limit, at least so they say, limit red meat, limit these processed meats and processed foods. But if you're, if you're loading your plate with half fruits and vegetables, a quarter whole grains and a quarter healthy protein, I mean, pretty simple. Yeah. You're good. I really think you're good. Yeah. You're, you're, you're way ahead of the rest of America. Um, all right, you've been you've been a really good sport in giving uh giving us uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of life and formal training in this for free. So we we appreciate that. We will uh, if you will indulge us, we're gonna hit we'll hit you with a couple silly questions that we hit all our guests with to find a a slightly different window into the soul of Andrew Merle. I love it. All right, all right, man. So uh, are you a morning runner, midday runner, evening runner? Morning for sure. There's so many studies showing and you you would know this the mental benefits of running and so i like to get morning exercise in because i am smarter i know it all day long so morning all the way absolutely uh headphones no headphones sometimes headphones i listen to podcasts or music or something but if i'm probably wanting to do it right it's just tuning into the environment yeah absolutely um what are if you listen to a podcast What's it likely to be? I listen to a bunch of health and wellness podcasts, as you can uh-huh. probably imagine. I like uh, Peter Atia has a great podcast. Rhonda Patrick has a good podcast. I listen to uh, Tim Ferriss podcast, Rich Roll. Um, yeah, there's uh, Lewis Howes. There's a bunch of good ones. So I rotate, rotate around, but it's normally within the realm of sort of self-improvement or health and wellness in some, some degree. All right. Uh, favorite book of all time. Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, you'll laugh at me. But <laughs> no judgment. 
The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss changed my life more than any other book because I learned that you can design your life how you want it to be and essentially doing more of what you love and less of what you don't love, even though the book is kind of impractical, the principles, and I read this book so long ago, but it, it has really changed my life. It, it's a good one. You know, I can never get past the title. I have to read it. Uh, I can never get past the title, right? It just feels too much like the late night infomercial people of like, hey, join my pyramid scheme. That's This is how I got the speedboat in the, in the fast car. And, Totally. But, but it, it makes you think there are so many thinking outside the box and what the possibilities could be for your life and how to do it differently. It just opened my eyes for sure. But yes, the dream of the four hour work <laughs> that he puts in there are kind of got to put that aside. All right, cool. Uh, favorite movie? A Few Good Men. Like, really? <laughs> I wanted to be a lawyer from the time that I was a little kid, actually, I never thought the, the sort of sports or nutrition thing was gonna, that didn't enter my mind for a while. And I, I loved law movies and that one was was awesome. I'm surprised you dodged that bullet. It's, uh, it's you know, so many people with law degrees in the sports industry, as you know, or agents or, or working at teams and, or leagues. I, totally, I lucked out with the Red Sox job when I, I got a Red Sox internship when I was still in college, had I not, been so lucky to have that i would have been a lawyer for sure all right theo talked you out of it yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. uh uh last two questions um if you could have dinner with any person living or deceased who would it be andre agassi oh that's a good one no one said that yet a childhood idol i was watching even this morning a like a 2004 classics on the tennis channel oh, huge fan of andre Wow. Yeah. And, and a really, really complex individual too. Yeah. And his, his autobiography, I think is one of the best, also one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah. I have not read that, but I've, I've, I've got to get to that. So cool. I haven't read it in ages, but I highly recommend it. Uh, and, and uh, most influential mentor in your life. Hmm. It's a good question. I've had a few uh, within my various organizations uh, Dr. Charles Steinberg was a big mentor for me when I worked at the Red Sox and the Dodgers. Um, a couple people at Red Bull, Chris Motter and Josh Kendrick really showed me the ropes of sports marketing and athlete marketing. A guy by the name of Patrick McGee has been a mentor to me through my whole career. So yeah, I think mentors are really, really important and I've been fortunate to have a few. And, and do, you, do you try to pay it forward now? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm very open to uh, not only on, on my team that I have now and trying to, you know, help them, but, you know, a lot of people are reaching out and I try to make time for as many people as possible because there's so many people, especially now in the, the crazy world we're living in, they're trying to break into this industry. And yeah, I, I've been lucky. And so I do want to pay it forward to a lot of yeah, people. You, you had a nice blog piece on that. Um, hey, how do you, you know, your career may be stagnating or taking a serious, you know, U-turn in the wrong direction during the pandemic. And how do you take advantage of maybe some downtime to, to reevaluate and go a different direction? I, that's great perspective. Yeah, thanks. And I think right now the options are changing and the, there are so many other options other than 
your typical nine to five job. I mean, here we are on a podcast and people are creating content and I, and I write and I just think expanding your mind and thinking of some of these other options that we're so fortunate to have is huge. Yeah. Very cool. Andrew, I can't thank you enough, man. This was really, it was great to do. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get together in person, like, like normal humans sometime soon. I would love that. I'm going to get out for a run and uh, yeah, enjoy all the benefits that come along with it. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll invite myself over to the New Balance campus. I've only been there, at a, well, I've probably been there three or four times, but it, it's really impressive. And of course, you've got the Celtics and the Bruins there now too. So I'll invite myself over to maybe run around the neighborhood and uh, visit to the healthy cafeteria. That would be awesome. I'm looking forward to getting back into that office myself. I know, right? Hey, thank you so much. You're a great sport to put up with us. Thank you. All right. Have a great All right. one. All right. Take care.